designating elders and designating deacons for the function of the body of Christ. And the only difference between the two in lists, the reason we make a distinction that there are two different offices is because uh, of the difference in the list that Paul says he goes through the list twice in 1 Timothy 3 and in Titus chapter 1. The stated difference, I hope you understand, between deacons and elders in the scriptures is the ability to teach in terms of their qualifications. So you don't have to be a teaching pastor in order to be a deacon. But you do have to be a teaching, apt to teach, and I think gifted to teach as a pastor to be an elder or an overseer. And so we've moved from the first three, first seven verses of chapter three in the requirements or the character qualities of overseers. And now we're talking about deacons. And in the middle of discussing deacons, Paul mentions, listen carefully, it's interpretive and important, their wives. It mentions the deacons' wives, not the lady deacons. Now, you might have been in a church or heard teaching, or you could go find it on YouTube. Don't recommend it. But you could find someone saying, no, deacons could be women because Phoebe in Romans 16. But that's wanting for Phoebe to be in the office of deacon. And we would put Jesus in the same category and Peter and, and Paul and all those that are called diakonos in the New Testament. Phoebe's a servant of all, just like we read in 1 Timothy 5. She's not in the office of deacon in the church. And I'll show you why I think that in context as we walk through it. But this is talking about having a household that represents um, the Lord Jesus. Now, by the way, I would include the wives of the overseers in this passage because it just says the wives. And it's the same concept. They need to be uh, the, the respectable women of faith that as, their, as a counterpart to their husbands, the respectable husbands of the faith. So let's read it. <clears throat> Deacons, likewise, must be men of dignity, not double-tongued or addicted to much wine or fond of sordid gain, but holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Then these men must also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach. Women, likewise, must be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate faithful in all things. Deacons must be husbands of only one wife and good managers of their children and their own households. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a high standing and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. This is vital for us to grasp the way we think of our leadership. There is nothing in that statement about the deacons not having oversight or the deacons not having any ruling function or being in any authority. People try to do that and say the deacons have no authority. The elders have the authority. I can't find it here. And the clear distinction made between those who wait tables and the apostles and elders in the first church in Jerusalem in Acts chapter six to me is where you get this office of deacon. That's what I believe. It doesn't call them deacons there that I could find. But I think it's very clear that you have some set aside to the word and prayer and others administering the offerings to the uh, Hellenistic widows, the Hellenistic Greek, the, the, Greek the, the, the Jewish widows, when there's a dispute between the, the locals and the Hellenistics. Now, let's walk through it. Let's walk through the passage and see what we're supposed to see. Before we do that, uh, we have deacons present in the room. I want to point them out. Rusty Minter is a deacon of Preston City Bible Church. 
John Miles, a deacon at Preston City Bible Church by office. Alan Snow, deacon at Preston City Bible Church. Former deacon, Tony, uh, Tony Regal, former deacon. Uh, he's taking a break. Time to quit breaking. Uh, no, you know, he's serving, but he's, he's not on the board presently. Um, you got Brendan Arbuckle, recent, uh, recent recruit. Ad, Al, Adam, Adam, come on, Rosalind. Adam Tebow, uh, also on hiatus. Um, and uh, Mike is online watching. And we have others. Jack Hayes was here. Let me tell you about Jack Hayes. Jack Hayes, who is the servant of the whole body. Jack Hayes, who will give you a word from the word of God and encouragement from the Lord Jesus Christ in any and every circumstance. Jack Hayes, who came here after having his prosthetic come off on his way to church, having to go home, get it put back on because that's a whole process. He got here and had come back off. He couldn't come and, and lead singing today. I have to do it. Jack Hayes, a servant of all, who has nothing but God's word to say to you uh, and, and the perspective of a life lived in the faith. Um, and I'm not going to, I don't mean to leave anyone out. Loring Boyden, no doubt with us online and, uh, and Gary Smith. And uh, this is the danger of listing the names. When you, oh, and, and Joel, Joel Deverex, who is, um, who is on secret mission, uh, in his work, uh, on a, on a business trip. Um, the, the people in office now, have I, have I made just dis distinctions by pointing y'all out? Well, what about us? What about, well, you used to be a deacon here for years, right? Barry. Okay. Um, have you always ducked out of it? John, did you always say, no, let me do it? Well, John, John's a servant of the Lord Jesus. And, uh, and I don't mean to point you out. Uh, are you blushing? No, no, we're all, we're all blessed. What I'm trying to say is there is a distinction made between people in a certain office, but everybody here is called by the Lord to serve the body to serve the body of Christ. That's why you have spiritual gifts. So let's walk through this discussion of what they're supposed to be like. Deacons, and that is a simple word. When you heard diakonoi in Greek, you heard servants, which could be a slave owned by the household you serve in, or it could be someone hired that was not owned. But, so that's a flexible word, but it means a servant. We have to hear that when we say the deaconate. It's a servant. It's the servitude. In the same way, these, just like the overseers, they have to be dignified, simnos. Not literally double speakers, dialogos. Not dialogos, like dialogue, but dialogos. It means double speak in English etymology. But what this means is they say the same thing no matter who they're talking to. They don't speak out of both sides of their mouth. They're clear, honest dealers. That, don't we love that? Now, we don't mean that the deacons need to tell you everything that, uh, that they see or know. Not all truth, as one dear friend in the, in the word has said, not all truth needs to be said. Does it have to be spoken? Did you see her or did you see what he was wearing? No, we don't have to say everything that we think. But uh, the point is that they'll tell you the truth. You can trust them. Just like this is how we're all supposed to be. Let your yes be yes, your no be no. Not devoted to much wine. We have par oinos earlier on in the chapter for the uh, overseers. Now it's a little bit of a stronger language. It's prosecco, and it means not, um, not um, I think prosecco is devo devoted to, but prosecco is to hold close, to hold to yourself in, in its etymology and its origin. So it means devoted to much wine. 
not fond of dishonest gain, iscroclerides. We had this word before for the, for the overseer. It's the same list. I mean, it's the same qualities. These men do not need to be grifters. They don't need to be looking to cheat someone out of money. They have to be honest dealers and not focused, even as it says for the overseers, lovers of money. We love God. God has all the resources, so we just trust him about that. Verse 9, having the mystery of faith with a clean conscience. This means that what God has given us through the Lord Jesus Christ and his apostles, they hold to and they're advocates of. Never misunderstand. Well, the elders have to be able to teach, but the deacons, they don't know much. No, they hold fast to the word of truth, to the mystery of the faith, and they do it unfettered in their conscience. Oh, those poor people believe Jesus is God. I got to serve them, but I, you know, I know better. Not a deacon, not in the office. This, this is a person who is living out the faith that we preach. By the way, on who's apt to teach, the apostle, some of you have been taught perhaps that you should never teach unless you're a pastor. I grew up with this perspective. Don't know where I got it. You should never teach anyone unless you're a pastor. And what happened was I read the Bible. I came to Hebrews chapter five, which by the way, tells you how to interpret chapter six. These believers he's talking to are dull of hearing and they're under the warning of chapter six for believers. Chapter five, he tells them that they are basically knuckleheads. He doesn't quite say it that way. It's more like fat-headed. Well, they're, they're dull of hearing. I guess it'd be fat-eared. They can't hear the truth because they're lazy in their study and they haven't paid close attention to our so great salvation. So when you get to chapter five, these dull of hearing believers should be what by now? Do you remember what Paul says? They should all be teachers by now. What does that mean? I'll tag out. You come up and preach. You tag out. The next person comes up. Come on, ladies. You come. We'll all, we'll all share the pulpit. That's not what it means. It means that you, like Prisca and Aquila, can sit down with anybody and say, this is what the word of God seems to say. It means that you know the Lord and you know the gospel and you know what you know and you know how to say it. And that's a different thing than just saying, I believe it. I believe it so that I could say it's another layer of maturity but that's what he means by you should be teachers by now that's what the writer of hebrews says to his audience so let's be careful about saying who is allowed to teach in in any context but i would challenge you that uh, anytime you are presented with a believer that's confused i don't know what to do i don't know where to turn all is lost everything's hopeless you know your friends are visiting with you on a friday night you better have words of god Words from the word to say. And it may not be a quote of scripture. Well, you know, in first Timothy chapter three, you don't have to do that, but you better know what God's word generally says. You could always take them back to Genesis three. Well, you know, in, in, in the, the, the fall of man, Satan said that God was holding back what, what we needed and he didn't want the best for us. But the whole Bible shows us the exact opposite. God wants your good. God wants blessing for you. And then you take them to any letter from Paul. And in the first three verses, grace to you and peace from God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ. What does God want for you? His grace and his peace. You see, I mean, you could take the Bible and just open it with people and help them. And so please be, be liberated.
to, to share with people the things of God in their moment of need, in your conversation. It's hard to do if you're not used to speaking about God. Some people will present a, a sort of a facade of biblical uh, understanding with God, what I call God talk. Well, you know, the Lord, the Lord's good all the time. He is. He is good summary of the Bible. Hopefully we've got some more scripture in there besides what everybody just says. Smile, be happy. God loves you or something. But see the elders, sorry, the overseers are, I believe to be pastors because of first Peter five, but the deacons are supposed to be able to hold fast the mystery of the faith with a clean conscience. And further, these men must be tested first. You didn't know that we gave the deacons a test, did y'all? It's a, it's a grueling process. We've got a cave. They have to, they, there's a little map. They have to find their way to the cave. No, no phones, no flashlights, torchlight only. Inside the cave, there are three questions. And if they get any of the questions wrong, then they will summarily be executed. Now, there's no silly test. There's no Scantron. We don't give them a spiritual assets inventory so that then their number two pencil, the computer can tell them what their spiritual gift is. For heaven's sake. <laughs> I'm sorry, I hate those. Anybody ever take a spiritual gift test to find out what God said you were? Let me give you a hint. God didn't tell you. If the, if the Scantron came back and said, you should be a prophet. Uh, that's not really what's going on in the body of Christ. I believe the way spiritual gifts work is that God made you what you are when you first trusted in Christ. You're going to grow into that full expression and spiritual maturity. And as you mature, you're going to find yourself desiring it and trusting in God. And as you walk with him, you'll find yourself doing it. Because you want and, and it'll be about the, the making of disciples. It'll be, about, it'll be about the work that God has for us to do. Anyway, you got to test these guys. It doesn't mean that you issue them a standardized test. It doesn't mean that we have like an ordination board where we bring them up all on stage and then everybody's able to fire at them all the theological questions that are burning in their minds. What it means is that we've observed them. It means that we know these people, that they have a good testimony and that they're solid. And that's what I, that's how I take it. I once, when I first came here, proposed that we test the new guys and put them up on the stage. That was met with, with less than enthusiasm by the men. And they said, look at that again. I'm not sure it means the Scantron. And here's the truth about David Rosalind. I was taught that day to look again. And you know what I did? Every time someone says, what about this in the Bible? I always check. And I said, you know, it does mean that you know them. You couldn't tell from a test what you can tell from life, from knowing someone. So we test them. Then they will serve. That's a third person Greek imperative, one of our favorite constructions. They will serve being beyond reproach. These deacons are commanded then to serve once they have been tested. And they are tested so that we know they're beyond reproach. That's why we don't give them a test to take on their theology. We watch them. And we, and, we, and we get to know them and uh, see beyond reproach. Wives or gunaikos, also gune is the, the dictionary form, G-U-N-E, long E, gune. Most beautiful word in all of Greek language, gune. 
Don't you love the sound of gune? Not the best sounding word I know. Gune, it means woman. And so you could translate this women. You could translate this wise. What you couldn't translate this is deaconesses. Now, some Bible translations will say deaconesses, but I believe with all my heart that they're wrong. Ladies, should you be servants of the Lord and therefore the body of Christ? You bet. Should you be in a position of authority over men at any point in the body of Christ? According to Paul, 1 Timothy 2.11, absolutely not. Why not creation order and the fall? I hope you can articulate that, ladies. Why don't we rule over men? Creation order and the fall. Where'd you get that? 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11 through 15. So why is he, why is he talking about women here? Well, if you let your, let your finger slip down, that's verse 11, verse 12, back to deacons in the singular, uh, in the masculine, deacons. Because he's talking about the wives that are attached to these deacons. So it's a family affair. In the same way, they must be dignified, simnos, same word, not diabolos. This may be one of my favorite statements about womanhood in all the Bible. Ladies, please, let's not be devils. D-I-A-B-O-L-O-S is the Greek word that we have strangely rendered over into English as devil. But it's diabolos. You gamers might remember this from the early 2000s. Diablo means devil. I think that this is what, uh, I think this is the Spanish. But it's not the Spanish, it's the Greek. Diabolos. What does this word mean, devil or diabolos? Well, it means somebody using their mouth to oppose someone else in an illicit manner. So my English Bible says, ladies are not to be malicious gossips. That's a good paraphrase. But he doesn't say malicious gossips. He says devils. He says diabolos. Slanderers. Accusers. Well, I can't imagine why Paul would say that to the women. That's never been a problem ever that anyone's ever experienced that women with their considerable influence and power can. And so can men use that power of influence to destroy people. James three, the tongue is a flame of fire. Like a little, like a little spark, it sets ablaze a whole forest. The, the, the rain can rain in a giant horse, a little bitty, little bitty uh, bit in its mouth. The little rudder steers the whole giant ship, the tongue. Is the world of iniquity. And so he says this th at this point. Is there anybody have any science on women and, and verbiage? Is there any science that anyone can think of? Any brain science on why you would say women watch your mouth? I've got some. I mean, it's awesome the way God made us. We're different. You ever notice that, the, ladies, that the gentleman will not give you the whole summary of the conversation? Well, then what did he say? I don't remember. I just gave you the summary. Anybody remember this in, in a conversation? I really need to know the details of how this conversation went. I don't remember. I'm just telling you the thin words I'm willing to say about it. He said no, and he wasn't interested in discussing it anymore. Well, but you talked to him for 45 minutes. Yeah, but I mean, that's kind of the gist of it. Know what I mean? Anybody? Just me. Okay. Um, it turns out that women's brains are made differently than men's. And I've talked about this with you before in chapter two. Women are designed to speak more than men. Babies need to hear mama say thousands more words than men say a day because they're, they're learning their language. It's, these things go together. 
And we know from Proverbs that with the multiplication of words comes great sin because we're sinful. And so what's inside is coming out. And so this specific superpower God gave women is now checked in terms of its sinfulness. Don't sin with your massive capacity to speak. I think it's a great fit. And it, it is not stated of the men. They're not told not to be diaboloi. Now, wait a second. Are men supposed to avoid being slanderers? Yes. Are women more sinful than men? No, but they're more generally talkative by design. Now you can say, I'm, a, I'm not a talkative woman. I'm a quiet woman. Maybe so. I'm talking about in general. And so this to me is the reason why he addresses this. Ladies, we're not calling you a bunch of little biddies that are looking to, to get everybody told or slander everyone. We're saying that the problems that we face need to be addressed. And if you have a problem, if I've heard of you running your mouth when you shouldn't, you may not know that I know. But I, I, I guarantee you that if I know of you speaking when you shouldn't or out of turn or slanderously or, or any, any, any maliciously, I guarantee you that it's not a shock because we're sinners. But it is off-putting. So what do you do about it? Well, you need to check yourself here. They're not to be devils. Now, this is one of those uh, no-brainer passages in Scripture. So you, you're telling us, Paul, that the wives of the men in responsibility for administration in the local church are not supposed to be slandering the people in the church. Who'd have thought? It also tells you uh, something that we all know, hopefully you know about the local church, is it's full of a bunch of sinners. And they can tear you down. Part of uh, my oversight responsibility here is to provide an environment where that's not really welcome. Nobody's here to gossip and judge you. Nobody's, nobody's here to, to set you straight. God is going to set you straight. We're here to serve one another. And if somebody does do some eye surgery on themselves so they can help you see, you'll know it's in grace, it's in kindness. So we're not, we're not going to tear each other down. Temperate is a reference to either alcohol, as I've said, or a more general sense of self-control. Alcohol being an example of this. Faithful in all things. Pistos and passing. Faithful in all things. Just a summary. That's a faithful woman. Well, does it mean faithful to her husband? It does. Faithful to her children? It does. Faithful to the word? It does. Faithful to one another? Faithful to the body of Christ? Let's go back to Diabolos. Uh, to, to the devils, if you hear someone maliciously gossiping, isn't it your place to say uh, at some point, shouldn't we change the subject and not do that? See, faithful in all things. It's awesome to hear that. I've heard that here. Maybe we should cease this discussion and move to something else. Very helpful. Verse 12, deacons must be one wife husbands. Now we switch back from the women to deacons. This is why I absolutely insist that he's not talking about women as deaconesses because he goes right to deacons are husbands of one wife in the same context. So everybody, it's like, it's like the Holy Spirit knew that our feminist post-Christian culture, which isn't feminist, it's now destroying womanhood. Check the trans uh, sports thing. Women's rights is over in this current administration. If you think about it. But but see, the deacon, back to the man deacon, is the husband of one wife. It never says they're wives of one husband. Because we're talking about deacons and their wives. 
Here's the way I think Paul's thought process goes. He's listing the requirements. He's probably dictating. I'm certain at this point in his life, he's dictating and he's listing requirements and he's saying uh, on the deacon's wives, it occurs to him. And then he says, and, and the deacons must be one wife husbands, because while I'm talking about their wives, let's address this again. Cause we just said it about the elders or the overseers before. So that's the flow of his thinking. it seems in context and that's, that's authorial intended hermeneutics. That's called exegesis. One wife, husbands or one woman, men, just like we had before Mias one Gunaikos a woman, Andres man, one wife, husbands, good leaders. That same word we had before proestemi to stand in front or to be put forth in front the leader. They must be good leaders of children. I don't like the word managers, but if you understand what he means there, the way we used to use the word manager, even of their own household. So this is a, an extensive use of Kai. He says they're good leaders of children. And then furthermore, or even of their own household as a kind of a parallel to the thought of leading their children, the specific part of leading household with children, the general, even their household. That's specific to general, the way he's thinking as he, as he lists the requirements of these men. And here's the explanation that the apostle Paul offers for the deacons, the explanation he offers. And I know it's an explanation because my fingers in the Bible and it says four. And so he's, he's, he's strengthening the previous points. Those who have served well, aorist participle, those who have in the past served well as deacons, they get a bothmos, they get a good standing. They gain a good standing for themselves. So the, so the, the office of deacon carried forth in excellence has outcomes that you want to have. You're gaining something that would be desirable, a good standing for themselves. Great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. This is the expectation for those who serve. Do you pray for the deacons of Preston City Bible Church? you pray for the overseer at Preston City Bible Church? We need it. We saw last hour how desperately we need it because there's a war on and Satan is seeking to destroy leadership. If you'll turn please with me to Acts chapter 6. I'm going to do something very unpopular in the topic of church leadership by going to Acts 6 and discussing deacons. Again, the word deacon is not used here, so it will be said this is talking about someone with more authority than a deacon. You can't use this as illustrative of the deaconate. But I believe in what's called inductive Bible study. And that means we're always matching patterns. We always are. We're not looking for just one word here and one word there. And now we have a connection. Sometimes that's how it works. But more importantly, we're looking for the patterns that God develops. And this is the beginning of the assembly of God's people into a local church. Verse six, uh, uh, Acts six, chapter one, <laughs> Acts chapter six, verse one. At this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, that's the general group, a complaint arose in the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Jews or Hebrews. So you're in Judea. They just had the upper room event. They've had a, you know, a couple of more preaching events around the temple. They've been imprisoned and released and so forth. And so now the, 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 the message is catching on that was started on the day of Pentecost. 
And so there's a problem already early on. There's a problem within that local assembly, and it's a cultural problem. You have people that are all Jewish. It's a Jewish group, but some of them are locals, and some of them are still there because apparently they, were, they stayed after Pentecost for the big gathering. And you remember had all the different languages at Pentecost? They're preaching to the Jews in Gentile languages. That's what the day of Pentecost is. The early church is Jewish in its founding. But in the, in the body of Jewish believers that are now remnant as believers in Christ, you have two groups, two main groups. You have the locals and the Greek world Jews, the Hellenistics. That are not, they, they don't speak uh, the same language. They don't have the same uh, accent when they do speak the same language. And they don't always have the same customs. And so there's a difference. And you can tell, even if you're up from Nazareth, if you're from Galilee, the people down south know that you're not from around here. You boys from up there have a southern accent, as we would say. Y'all sound different. Or you guys sound different. But in this context, in the church, you have this division of a culture. And there's a little bit of remnant snootiness, right? About, well, we're the real deal because we're here in Judea. And these people from the diaspora, they're a lesser. They're, they're a less, less of a strain of the, of the full Jewishness or something. We do, everybody does this. It's a study in racism. It's a study in culturism. It's a study in human depravity, right? So there's a problem because the widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. It doesn't say food, but we assume it's serving of food. See, everybody's now assembling and associating culturally and civically in the assembly of these believers and so there's a daily giving of food to the widows, to the poor. And, but there's two kinds of poor. There's two kinds of widows. There's the Judeans and the Hellenists, the people from the Greek world that are all Jewish. So uh, there's already this problem. And so you're overlooking. Because, see, they're, they're new. And the, the, the ladies have been coming for quite a while now for their portion. But these new outsider widows that are present, they're newcomers and uh, they don't get a, a serving. And so what, what happens is the, the leaders cave to the pressure of the political group that's, that's internal, the Judeans, and they consistently disregard the Hellenistic widows so that this thing dies in its cradle. No, that's of course not what happens. They say, this is a problem. It needs leadership and oversight and authority. And we can't do it if we're doing this work. They're starting the project of building New Testament systematic theology. They're devoting themselves to the Old Testament scriptures and to prayer. And they have a lot of work to do. These elders, these leaders. So the 12, that's the group of the leaders. They summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, it's not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Well, is it okay for us to neglect God's word to serve tables? Yeah, there's a, a, a division of labor here. These 12 are going to work in the word and you're going to work on the application of the word. And that's a legitimate division of labor. Does this mean that the 12 never serve a table? No. Does it mean that the servants never are in the word? Of course not. It means that we're going to marshal our resources and divide this up. So this is a, the initial delegation to the servants. 
Verse 3, Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. The, the Bible-believing, church-age believer is supposed to be filled with the Spirit, full of wisdom, therefore capable in God's grace for the task of carrying out the Word of God. That's, that's the pattern that we're seeing in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. We will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So the elders or the, the 12 say, we're going to segregate ourselves for this work and equip you and empower you, delegate to you authority to carry out this work. Now, the reason it's popular to say these are not really deacons like we have today is because we have this assumption that servant has no authority. Well, I'll show you in a minute. That's absurd. Because the one who wants to lead you must be the servant of all, says the Lord Jesus Christ, who's called a servant. The servant has no authority. Only servants have authority. Now, this statement of the apostles found approval with the whole congregation. So notice this is also the foundation in our understanding of congregational government, because they're putting this forth and saying, you need to do this. And then the people are receiving it and, and following them. And say, yes, we need to designate from ourselves. Notice that the elders don't say, here are the deacons. The people say, here are the people we want to put forth as men that are tested. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Tim, Timon, Parmenas, N Nicholas, a, a, a proselyte from Antioch. There you go. St. Nicholas right there. Uh, Acts chapter 6. Not the Nicholas of Myra that we know brings presents and puts them in your wooden shoes. <laughs> um, but there is Nicholas in the Bible. And these they brought before the apostles. And after praying they laid their hands on them. And the word of God kept on spreading. And the number of the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. And then right into Stephen. And then right into Philip. And what these great men of faith do. And the, again the reason in popular elder rule discussions they don't say these are deacons is because of what philip and stephen are about to do but i say they are deacons and they're models for our deaconate now they're given special prophetic ability stephen has the gift of prophecy he gives the entirety of acts chapter 7 as a condemnation of israel and he dies for it the first christian martyr that's what's happening in chapter 7 and you have Philip that is caught away by the Holy Spirit, teleported by the third person of the Trinity to the presence of the, uh, the Ethiopian eunuch to give the gospel to this early Gentile convert. It's an awesome story of the, just the beginnings of the fulfillment of this Gentile ministry to the Ethiopian eunuch uh, who is representing Ethiopia, though probably, uh, I think he's probably Jewish. All right. What's the point? The point is that I think this is pattern for disciples, but it's also pattern for deacons because of the division of the task from the ministry of the word and prayer to the administration of an application of it in taking care of the specific needs of the poor in the, in the family. That's what the original idea of the deacon it is. It's written up that way in our constitution as a church. It's a minority view, but it's an elevation of the concept of the deaconate. Nothing in Acts 6 is contradicted by the list we have in 1 Timothy 3. We just have a little bit more 
well, there's a little bit more to being one of these guys in the early church than we tend to think about. Please pray for those that have been, that you've designated, I approve, but you designate to serve in the body here, to serve you in an official capacity. Please pray for them. I believe leadership carries a, a target. We get painted with an IR signature that Satan's demons attack. Because the, if you can take down the shepherd, you can, you can lead the flock astray, that kind of thing. Please be in prayer for these men. They need it. Let me prove with you just for a minute. As we close for the next two hours, let me. That's cool. Let me make a case for um, service. I started it with the little children. I want to close it with you and look at all 28 times. This word deacon is used in the New Testament. The overwhelming minority, the, the total, the minority of cases is the office of deacon. But this is the deal. Jesus in Matthew 20, 26 says, it's not this way among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your deacon, your servant. The king said to the servants, Jesus in Matthew 22, 20, 22, 13, bind them hand and foot. This is an example in Matthew 22 of the deacon, the word servant as like a king's servant. And he uses it all the time. It just means someone serving under authority of the, of the master. Matthew 23, 11, a very terse statement. The greatest among you shall be your deacon, your servant. The greatest among you shall put himself in the position of least. And Jesus demonstrated this, as you know, in John 13, when he donned the, the robe, the garb of a slave to wash the disciples' feet, the lowest ranking servant. And he says, I've done this for you. You need to copy this. This is how you need to be. And those disciples said, okay, what we're going to call the men that, that, that the church designates, full of the spirit, to, to carry out the application of the word in the family, in the, in the waiting of tables here, what we're going to do with them is we're going to call them servants. Just like Jesus demonstrated. Echoing what we already read in Matthew, Mark 9, 35, sit down, he called the 12 and said to him, sitting down, he called the 12 and said to them, if anyone wants to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. Same thing in Mark 10, 43. The wedding at Cana, his mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. This is just people in the house that are household servants that are filling the water jars for Jesus to turn the water into wine. They're just the servants there in the house. So what, what you get is there's basically two uses, at, well, three. There's the basic use of the word, which means a household servant or, or it could be a slave. There's the sense in which it means that's how you think of yourself toward one another under God in a general sense as Christians. And then there's the specific naming that as the office of those delegated, those men full of the spirit with believing, serving wives who will carry out the word of God for the church family. If anyone serves me, Jesus says, he must follow me and where I am, there my servant will be also. Everybody here said, let me be part of that. If anyone serves me, he must follow me and where I am there, he may, the servant may be also. If anyone serves me, the father will honor him. All things that you and I want desperately. So own it. I'm not necessarily trying to make the case. I assume you get it. I definitely want to reinforce it and inculcate it. Now, this is interesting in Romans 13. Government is a minister of God to you for good, but that word minister is diakonos. It's a servant meaning delegated authority from God. 
It's a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the, the one who practices evil. Delegated authority. When that word is used, diakonos, for government, and we want to say in 1 Timothy 3, the deacons have no authority, please, how can this be? How can they administer what is the distribution of the offerings for the widows if they're not making authoritative decisions that affect other people? Romans 15.8, see, they go to 16.1 and they say, Phoebe's a deacon because she's called a servant of the church in Sincrea. So that means that, that we have deacons, we have deacons that are women, deaconesses, because Phoebe, diakonos. Romans 15.8, though, I say that Christ has become a deacon to the circumcision on behalf of the truth of God to confirm the promises given to the fathers. Is Jesus in the office of servant in a local church? Is that what that means? No, it means he's a servant. And so is Phoebe, and she's not the husband of one wife. But then is Paul, what is, what's Apollos? What's Paul? We're deacons, servants through whom you believe. See, that's the general sense of the word. We're household servants of the Lord's household. Second Timothy, or Second Corinthians 3, 6, God made us adequate as servants of a new covenant. We are deacons or servants of this new covenant ministry, seeking its fulfillment in the coming of Christ. And everything, committing ourselves as deacons of God or servants of God in 2 Corinthians 6, 4. Therefore, it's not surprising if his servants disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end will be according to their deeds. Now, here's where deacons are demons or demons are deacons. In 2 Corinthians eleven fifteen, look at look at the verse again. It's not surprising if his servants, who's that Satan's servants, disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end will be according to their deeds. That's where you got deacons that need to be uh, removed from the board. <laughs> if he's talking about board members, but he's not. He's talking about servants of a higher authority. Are they servants of Christ, Paul says, when he's dealing with, uh, with the rebellious Corinthians? These people you're listening to, are they deacons of Christ? Are they servants of Christ? Well, I'm a servant more than they are. He doesn't mean the office. He means just being a servant. But if while seeking to be justified in Christ, we've also been found sinners. Is Christ then a deacon of sin? May it never be. Is he a minister? Is he a servant of sin? See, it's just a general sense of being a servant. Paul was made a deacon according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of his power. See, what happens is people, all they know is Romans 16, that Phoebe's a deacon or a servant. And that's all we need to know. Women are now deacons, but not in the sense of, of Acts 6 or 1 Timothy 3 or Titus 1. She's a servant, but not in the office of administrative authority over the church. Ephesians 6, 21, but that you also may know about my circumstances, how I'm doing, doing Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful deacon of the Lord will make everything known to you. See, deacons aren't supposed to get up in front of the church and speak. Uh-oh. In Ephesians 6, 21, Tychicus is going to carry Paul's word to them and speak to them. Probably read this letter of Ephesians. Now, Philippians 1, if we're wondering, is there even an office of deaconate? Is this an office then, if it just means servants? Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ, or I'm sorry, doulos, slaves, douloi of Christ, Jesus, to all the saints in Christ, Jesus, who are in Philippi, or Philippi, according to the overseers, and that's episkopos, and diakonoi, and deacons. This is the office. What you're doing is thinking biblically. If you're thinking, okay, there's a meaning of this word. It means servant. There's a sense where we're all called to be servants of God and, and therefore of one another. And so then there are certain 
people designated for the office of deacon, which is the carrying out of the word and the experience and practice of the church family. You see the pattern? And they're husbands of one wife. Epaphras is a faithful servant of Christ on Paul's behalf, likely a pastor. Colossians 1.23, I was made a deacon, and, and, uh, says Paul. Paul is a deacon. Again, how many times has he said it? Servant, it just means servant of Christ. Paul was made a minister of the church in Colossians, what was that, Colossians 2? What, Colossians 1.25. As to all my affairs, Tychicus, our beloved brother and fellow, faithful servant and fellow, fellow slave in the Lord will bring you, uh, bring you information. See, this word bondservant means you're owned by someone. It's doulos, it's a slave. Are you comfortable with being called a slave? I was really challenged on this recently. Oh, you can't say that. You don't know what it's like to be a slave. Well, uh, very few people that I know do know what it's like to be a slave, although there's a rampant slavery going on in our culture. It's sex slavery. It's the horror of human trafficking that is being uh, permitted, I think, horribly in, in this culture. And they know those poor people's dear, poor, abused children know what it's like to be slaves. I don't know what it's like to be owned by someone else unless I think of Christ buying me with his blood and so I'm now a bondservant of his. But I want to be. It's the best possible arrangement because my master is my savior. And he tells us he doesn't call us slaves. He calls us friends because he tells us what he's doing. 1 Timothy 3.8, deacons is our passage, 3.12. And then 4.6, in pointing out these things, Timothy, to the brethren, you will be a good deacon of Christ Jesus. Is Timothy in the office of deacon that he's been teaching them about in 1 Timothy 3? No. He's an apostolic emissary. He's, he's more like one of the overseers. But he's going to be a good servant of Christ. What's my point? What's your point, Pastor Dave? Let's close this down. Point is that... Did y'all see any of that? getting blank stares. I'm, 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 I was scrolling the word document so you could see all the examples, all the verses that was very painful for just to hear it. I apologize. Uh, some of you are like, Oh, thank goodness. He at least acknowledged it. Well, um, my point in all this is we need to hold those that serve us in high esteem. We need to recognize the high calling they've been given. And in context of first, uh, first Timothy chapter three, verses six and seven, that there is a war on there's a war and we are opposed by forces we can't see. How will you know you're being opposed? You need to pay attention to what God's word says and learn the genuine article so that when you hear the counterfeit, you can say, there it is. There's the problem. There's the, the hardship. From first hour, I want to remind you that the way Satan wedges his way in, the way Satan gets us distracted is we start thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. Arrogance brings us into the fall of the condemnation of the devil. And if we'll humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, as Peter says in 1 Peter 5, 6, then he will promote us at the proper time, casting all our cares on him. Our Father, we thank you for this eternal life. We thank you for those that you've designated to serve in the body of Christ here at Preston City Bible Church and the privilege we have to assemble under these conditions. Father, we're starting to feel warm here in March in Connecticut, so unusual for us, and we praise you for that. We thank you for this old meeting house, which we have, uh, have met in for 200 years, 206 years going on. 
to serve you uh, according to the word of God and the saving of the lost and the discipling of the saved. Father, we, uh, we thank you for this awesome and rich privilege in Christ, for the deacons that have served here and who do serve here. We pray for their growth, for their protection, for their provision, for their strength to be all that you want them to be. Father, some are uh, in the process of pursuing a vocational ministry. I pray for John Miles especially and his uh, work in seminary training. I pray for his protection from these wiles of your enemy and, uh, and the attack on the body of Christ through those that lead. And I pray that you'll strengthen us as we humble ourselves before you. Father, we won't promote ourselves. We will promote you at every turn. We ask that you would strengthen us to do so and give us more resources, more capability, more ability. Finally, Father, we want to ask your blessing on those that don't know Jesus Christ who may be in the hearing of our voice. There are some among us that don't know you, have not trusted in Jesus as their Savior. We pray for their eternal life. Help them come to know Jesus as their Savior by trusting alone in what you have sent him to do. He came to die for our sins and he rose from the dead to give us eternal life. Help them consider the words of life and the claims of Christ. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.